right, welcome back. Today we have Coach Cornell. He is the head football coach at Quincy Notre Dame High School in good old Quincy, Illinois. Coach, thanks for being here. I appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I actually pl- coached against Quincy Notre Dame, I think, the year before you took the job. It would have been 2017, yep. I think. We had to, I was at Charleston, Illinois. We had to drive all the way to Quincy Notre Dame, and that was like a four-hour drive to get yeah. over there. Like, well, we we did that my my first year. We we repaid that and came to Charleston that year. So yeah, very familiar driving across the state. Not a not a very scenic trip for sure. Oh no, no, it's literally going from the one side of the state all the way to the other. Um, yeah, I got to ride. Me and another coach rode in his truck there. We didn't have to take the. We took uh, charter buses. And I was like, I still don't even want to sit on that damn charter bus. So my the other coach was like, Hey, I bought a brand new truck two weeks ago. I'm taking it. I'm like, I'm hopping in with you. And we just, we just went. Heck yeah. Um, and your guys's turf and stuff, I think I just got put in that year. So it was like still freshly done, like the whole stadium. Yeah. And I'll never forget. We're walking on the field. Our smart, lovely angels have like sunflower seeds and that AD Uh-oh. freaked out. <sighs> And we had to apologize. Yeah. I apologized like a million times. I said, one, I wasn't on the bus, so I had no control. I'm not the head coach either. I was like, two, yeah. I apologize. We don't have turf. These kids don't know. And he's having to pick up the sunflower seeds. I'm like, oh, my God. So we're helping him pick them up. And I'm like, oh, we look like a bunch of hillbillies walking in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about seeds and turf, but, I mean, it's just hard to get those things up. But, yeah, I mean, if you, you want to see – a any athletic administrator get fired up, just start spitting sunflower seeds on any kind of turf, and that, that'll get them going for sure. Oh, yeah, and then um, you could tell me to shut up if you take offense to this. I had to go – I was the OC, and I went up on top of the box. One, that ladder is not big person friendly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a fact. You're not going to catch me up there, that's for sure. Yeah, no, because I'm – like, you're a big guy. I'm, I'm 6'5", you know, like 270, 280, and you're like, this is not big person friendly. And then it yeah. slants a little bit, so you're just kind of like. Once I found my spot where I didn't feel like I was moving, I was like, "I'm right here," with my thing. I was like, "I'm right here," and I'm not moving. And yeah. the, the funny thing was, the other guy up there with me is six six, like two hundred and eighty pounds. So we're both up there, like, "All right, how long till we fall through this thing?" Like that's what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, the guys in that box can just hear every every movement going on above them. I mean, it's yeah, I. Uh... Of course, we we love our facilities, and it's it's home to us. And I, I you know when I grew up here in Quincy, that was what you know that's that's what it looked like. Obviously, it was grass when I was playing on it, but it was that press box. It was those bleachers, oh, okay. you know, behind the school right there. So um, it means a lot to a lot of people. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know it, it's certainly not uh, it's not very new up there for sure. That, that, we've had that for quite some time, and we did get some air conditioning and a heater unit in there. Now we've got this nice digital scoreboard, so we've uh-huh. got some electronics in there that we got to keep weather protected. But right um, up top, it, it's treacherous for sure. Yeah, I've been in way where don't worry, way way worse. It was just um, oh yeah. I think it threw me off guard when you saw the great facilities that just got done, like the concession stand, the turf, like you're looking at it, and then you get up there and you're like, wait a minute. And so I look at the guy and I was like, oh, don't worry, they'll update this next year or something because it's just a process. And I saw a picture of your guys' team. I'm like, oh, no, it's the same one. I can all, I can. Oh, yeah. Yep. 100%. The worst one was like a deer stand. We had to climb up like a telephone pole and it just stuck out to the side. And I remember getting up there and the wind started and you start doing this. And I went back down. I looked at the coach. I was like, nope, nope. 
He goes, calling this one from the sideline today, coach. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, you got to get back up there. And I was like, no, no, because you know if it starts – because I think a storm was coming. I was like, I'm the tallest person. I'm going to get hit with lightning up here, and the wind's doing this. No. So your guys' yeah. is – that's yours is paradise compared to that. I was like, nope, nope, getting back down. I mean, that, that's just high school football, right? You know, you never know what you're going to get into when you go to an away game at uh, a place that you've never been to before. And, you know, it, it feels such like a luxury for our coaches that go up top when they are inside of a box uh -huh. for a game. You know, it's like, man, I mean, you guys are first class all the way, you know, and but it's always going to be something different, a different experience, but it's always unique to that community and unique to that school, which, I, again, I think is what makes our sport at our level uh, great. Yeah. Because my high school, um, super small. I went to Oakwood High School right by Danville in Champaign. And uh, they had to just share the press box, I think, my freshman year, like both opponents. Well, then someone volunteered on the visitor side to build literally wooden steps to go way up high into their own little box, just built it themselves. And it looks awesome. It's just wood, but it's just awesome. Like, mm -hmm. oh, they someone just volunteered to build it. I'm like, well, that's the small town thing. They're just like, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to go build this for the school. Um, they let him in for free for a year, like for the game, because he built it. And it was just awesome. Yeah. Like, that's small town football. That's high school football where it's like, that's it. And then you come up to the suburbs here and people, I tell people that and they're like, that's real hillbilly-ish. And I'm like, you guys don't even get it. Don't. It's whatever. The small small town USA, you know. Yeah. yeah, the 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 team needs something. The school needs something. The people in the community will step up to help out, and that certainly has been our experience at, at QND and and here in Quincy. I mean, it's uh, like I said, that's what makes us great. And I think, you know, I, I don't have much experience up north uh, in in the big city, obviously, but um, you know, I, I can appreciate everybody's community when it comes to, especially their high school football program and coming out and supporting and doing whatever they can to help the team be successful. Right. Because, uh, like I said, I grew up in Oakwood. I went to EIU, coached at Charleston for a long time. My now wife is from the suburbs. She got a job. So we moved up here in 2018. And it's so hard to get adjusted to. I still do it every day, like driving on the four-lane roads. You're like, what What the hell is this? I'm used to my one-lane road or my two-lane road. Um, but the funny thing is there are some schools here that are big time. But you also get that small town feel, even even though you have thousands of more people, it still feels sometimes like small town football to some places up here. So it's very weird up here. It's split. Mm. It's, oh, I can tell you have all the money or you guys are whatever. Then this school, even though there's 2,000 kids in the school, it still feels like small town football. Like this is all they got. Or sports. I should mm -hmm. just say sports. It's like small town sports. Um and so I gravitate more towards that than the political side of all the other big schools. I'm like, you guys do your yeah. thing. I'm going to do this because yeah. being from small town USA, I have different viewpoints than you. So I'm going over here. You stay over there. That's yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so you mentioned you went to Quincy Notre Dame high school. Then you mm -hmm. went to my favorite school, Illinois, because you know, you're by yeah. Champaign. I grew up by Champaign. So I'm a U of I fan, obviously. Um, what was that experience like going from playing high school football to U of I? The recruiting process way back then is way different than it is now. So, yeah, so yeah, what was really that is. like? Yeah, I, I grew up always loving football. Football was such a big part of my identity. And uh, I was lucky enough growing up Catholic here in Quincy. I knew that my parents was going to send me to Q&D and, and I was going to have a Catholic education. And uh, growing up, 
our high school football team was really good. Bill Cannell, who I played for, who I took over for, who I still work for, um, built a culture in this town that just had, you know, the Catholic kids gravitating towards community football. And when I got there, there were, uh, you know, several players who had went on to play college football before me, uh, maybe not at a, a big time level like that. It had been several years since that had happened, but um, it was always a goal of mine to want to play QND and then want to play in college. And, um, you know, I, growing up, which I think many people do, you, you think, you know, all I got to do is work really, really hard and I'm going to get, you know, a D1 offer. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that uh, that's certainly part of it. It's a big part. But of course, the biggest part is you got to have a genetic skill set to, mm-hmm. to play at that level. You got to be a certain size. You got to be able to run fast. And um, through some experiences early in my life, you know, figured that that was a genetic skill set that I had. My parents, my dad wasn't a football player, uh, don't really have a lot of football in my family. My grandfather played way, way back in the day, and, and uh, he was recruited to play actually for Iowa. But okay. he grew up during a time where when you grow up Catholic, you, you go to a Catholic college. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully for my bloodline, he didn't go to Iowa. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when when I was uh, my junior year, I was a starting right tackle and, and had a good season, ended up getting named All-State in every newspaper um, in Illinois and thought, you know, maybe there could be something to this. I uh, had gone to some camps and, and performed really well, so started to get some offers to some Division One schools. And like you said at the time, it was very different than what it is now. Um, you know, even technology back then, I still had a you know little Motorola flip phone back then <laughs> working the, the T9 texting, which you yeah. and I know exactly what that is. Your younger viewers may not, but um, coaches, there were, there were some rules on how much they could text you and call you. Yep. Um, there certainly was dead periods at the time back then, but, uh, you know, would be texting back and forth between myself and coaches on that flip phone and um, had several offers, really wanted to go to Florida, was really where uh, I'd grown up a Gator fan my whole life and I had gone to some camps down there and had played really well. Uh, I, before my senior year, when I was looking to get an offer from them, went down and had a good camp. And there were there was a set of twins from Lakeland, Florida, that was there the same day, and they were mm-hmm. at the time were committed to Florida State, and so I thought it was a pretty good chance that I was going to get an offer from Florida. Well, at some point on that trip, they decommit from Florida State and they commit to Florida, and then they go on and um, have tremendous careers there. Their last names, by the way, are Pouncey. <laughs> yeah. So, two two All Pro players. I think Urban Meyer may have got that recruiting one right. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I really, for me, it had boiled down to uh, Illinois. Obviously, Ron Zook had recruited me, and Tom Sims was my recruiting coach at the time. Uh, Michigan State is actually where I had originally committed to uh, before my senior season. I was going to play for John L. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, coach Stallin, who's now the O-line coach for the Eagles, he and I had a really good relationship. I really liked Jeff Stallin a lot. Um, they didn't have the season that they had hoped for and, and let John, John L. Smith go, and then decided to reopen my recruiting. Um, went to went on a visit to Nebraska. Bill Cunningham, Bill Callahan was the head coach at the time. Liked it, but just didn't seem like a good fit. Had always wanted to go to Illinois, but it just wasn't, you know, didn't seem like a very sexy pick. It's mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing to say that now, but, right. you know, that, that was important back then. But, um, you know, when they started to really do a good job in recruiting that 2007 class, which I'm sure you remember had a lot of heavy hitters in that class, yeah. you know, Aurelius Ben, Martez Wilson, uh, Josh Brandt, D'Angelo McCray. You know, there was a lot of guys there that were four five-star guys that you could tell they were doing something really special. And, uh, 
you know, Tom Sims, even after I committed to Michigan State, said, you know, look, we're going to still recruit you because we want you. And that meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And Ron Zook said the same thing when he came and sat on my couch. Um, and, you know, had taken officials to Michigan State, Illinois, Nebraska. And at the end of the day, just felt like, like Illinois was home. I mean, it was people that really saw the world the same way that I did. It wasn't that far away from where I grew up. Um and you could tell that they were on the up and up. I mean, they had some mm-hmm. close games in that 2006 season. They had a really close game against Ohio State at home against uh, Troy Smith, who won the Heisman that year. You could tell they were they were on their way. Right. And then, you know, when I got there, uh, you know, specifically from going from high school to college, I mean, was a tremendous jump in talent uh, and intensity, obviously. Uh, I probably wasn't as ready for that jump as much as I was when I went from college to the NFL. But, you know, I, I still tell my players to this day, I mean, my first two days of practice in college, I, I didn't think that I belonged. I didn't think mm-hmm. that I was good enough. I didn't think that I was going to make it. I mean, I was slow, didn't really grasp the offense. Um, you know, the the things that I'd always done well, being a physical football player, I could still do. But it was just when I you didn't really understand what you were doing, you couldn't play as fast. So. I uh, had a lot of, you know, had to talk myself up and, you know, survive that first training camp at Rantoul. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, just a, a total life-changing experience that uh, it certainly slowed down as the year went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, played scout team against that defense in, in 2007. And, uh, I mean, all those guys, you know, the Jay Lamans, the Britt Millers, the oh, yeah. uh, the world. I mean, those guys are, are still very good friends to this day. So, um we had a lot of fun that, that 2007 season. I, I was redshirted that year, so I got to kind of be best of both worlds. But, um, you know, my recruiting obviously was uh, – they, they found me. I, I, I went to camps and tried to get as much exposure as I could and um, wanted to play college football, found an opportunity, and went and did it. And when I got there, obviously had a lot of learning to do, had a lot of growing up to do. I was very immature. I was very childish in a lot of things that I did. And I, like like everybody is when yeah. they go to college, right? And you right. got to find yourself. And, and I did. And I was very fortunate to find very good friends that are still, I consider brothers to this day, and make it over there for games and practices and stuff. And, and it's awesome. So it's very much a, a, a big part of who I am today. And uh, very thankful for the opportunity to get to do that and to have the success that we did. I mean, obviously, you see behind me, I, I, we went to three bowl games when I was there. So right, right. I don't know how many football players at, at, at Illinois can say that. And not many can say that they won back-to-back bowl games, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I, I think what Coach Bielham is doing right now, I, I like the trajectory that we're going. Obviously, we didn't have the year that we wanted to this year. But um, – I think when you can get big, strong linemen like he's bringing in, mm-hmm. I think that's what made us successful. You know, you, you get these these good linemen that come in. We had a lot of NFL guys that played up front with us. You know, right. and I think the more guys like that you bring in, that's how you're going to find success. Yeah, you said a lot there that I'm going to revisit back to. So bear with me because um, yeah, first thing is you got to tell Mr. Layman to message me back because he's like, yeah, I'll do your podcast, and I can't talk to him for two years. You can never get a get a hold of that guy. <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you, no doubt. <laughs> well, because like I said, I grew up right by Champagne, so we knew it all. So when I started this, I sent him a message. He goes, yeah, I'll do it. And then like a year goes by and I keep messaging and nothing. Then this this shit next year, hey, you still want to do it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just. Yeah, yeah. I'll put a good word in for you. But I mean, that's, you know, I he, him personally, I mean, you know, he was a guy that he was a senior that year when I was a freshman and uh, the way that he lived life was not the same, was not a very typical college 
way of living. I mean, he's very, um, you know, very religious, very devout and, yeah. and lives that way. And, yeah. I, and I admire that deeply about him, but and that guy, we, we had a lot of fun. I guess I'll just leave it at that. But oh yeah, I could. <laughs> but I, like I said, I'll put a good word in for it. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate. It. I, I I wanted to be funny there for a second, but then um um oh I forgot what I was gonna say. But anyway, yeah, I remember I walked on to EIU, and I wanted people to know this. I was six five, two seventy, and they're like, "You're too small." And I that was the first time I think I've been told I was too small for something. And so yeah. that that college world is just even at Eastern at the time, Spoo was the head coach. That was back when everybody ran power, like we're like the power run game. Like that's all we're going to do. Even their linemen were like 310 pounds. And I just couldn't fathom like, you know, my senior year of high school, I got to 300 pounds. Like I was like, I'm going to be big. But then the problem was my body couldn't handle like how to move. Like everything was just a step slower. Everything was heavy, you know, and then I lost a lot of weight. Here's an amazing story for you, and you won't believe me. I was 300 pounds. I got I hurt my back and my knees, so I couldn't really lift. I could play, but I just couldn't lift. Like, lifting was just going to kill me. Played basketball. I got down to 215. Like, lost everything. And, wow. And so then I had to lift as hard as I could for that summer to go walk on. I I was like – I was that stupid kid that said, hey, it's Division One, AA, or 1, or bust. I'm not going Division Two. I'm not going Division Three. And you're just this, like, this stupid kid – I'm six five and I can go play and I go to walk on. I'm like, oh, oh, this is what this is like. Oh, there's yeah. there's something more than the state of Illinois. This kid's from Florida and he's 270 pounds but runs a four nine eight forty. And you're like, oh, I run like a five. Oh, yeah. like this ain't gonna. Which work. is a big difference, yeah. Um, but I remember and I, and that probably was my experience too. Is that you know you you grow up in your town and your community, and yeah, you do well, and you think, shoot, that's you know, I'm I'm it, and right. yeah, you meet these guys from Florida, from Texas, California, and you know, even from other parts of the Midwest, you're like, okay, there's there's some yeah. guys out here now. Oh yeah, that because that you would have thought I would have learned before because before I went to Eastern's camp and I went to Northern Illinois, you would have thought I learned then because there was huge guys. Yeah. And we were, me and this uh, my my friend who played, we were the bottom of the totem pole. And the reason why, I, why did I not figure this out? I don't know. We were purple. Like, our colors were purple. They didn't know us by name. They said, hey, big purple, come here. Like, that was. <laughs> that, that, here's your sign. No, we don't know you by name, man. Yeah. You're, you're not high up on the list. Yeah. But when you're. I, I'd say I. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was like, when you're 16 or 17 years old, you're just like waddling over there you're like well i'm just glad to be here like you're not thinking about it yeah yeah no i i had that experience that um the florida camp that i told you about i went to i i went to that before my junior year and because i'd always wanted to go to florida and wanted to see what it was like and my dad said look if this is where you want to go you need to go test yourself against these guys and right you know seeing the, the cats they had down there i mean i went against this guy that you know, at the time going against him, my dad swears the kid was 19 years old. I mean, <laughs> he probably was. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? I mean, he he ran me over so quick. It was like, oh, my God, you know. And, I mean, we play good teams at Q&D, but obviously we're not playing anybody that could pass as a 19-year-old. I mean, right. this was uh, – it was a different deal. But, yeah, that's that's one thing I tell the our, our guys now when they start to get recruited. It's like, you know, this is a process. You got to do, do some work on the front end to introduce yourself to these guys. And then when you go – you know, see them in person, you, you got to perform. I mean, it's, uh -huh. it's a job interview and that's exactly what this is. Like it's, 
we love high school football so much because it's football in its purest form. I mean, right. you're doing this because you love it. You're doing it with guys that you grew up with, with your brothers. And then once you start to get in that recruiting process, it changes because it goes from a game to a business. Right. It's uh, There's still obviously that football part of it in college and even in the NFL, but it's just so much of a business that you got to look out for yourself, but you also got to play the game. Um, and now with Twitter and, and, and how technology can get these kids in touch with them. And, and not only that, but now they can see who else is out there, right? right? When you and I were getting recruited, we we only knew what Edgy Tim was posting and who those guys were. I mean, uh-huh. you can't – now now you can find these guys and, and who you're playing against and where they're going and what they're doing. And uh, it's now it's, it's difficult because these kids are always going to compare themselves to each other. And that's a challenge. Maybe, maybe that's a blessing that we didn't have to grow up in that type of era. I mean, I believe me, I thank God that I didn't grow up in a Twitter era. I mean, I would have probably said some stupid stuff that would have got me canceled later in life. Who knows, you know, but, oh, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's definitely totally different, but you know, still the foundation is still the same. I mean, you got to have the work ethic. You got to be uh, an athlete. You got to be able to, to do what it is that your coach to do. Uh, and those, those type of fundamentals will never change. Yeah, well, I would have got in trouble, I think, if Snapchat, Twitter, and, you know, all that. Oh, my was, God, yeah. Like, yeah. we had MySpace, but even MySpace, you just were not – it was just – people don't know Still what MySpace is. Still very limited. Is. Oh, yeah. Like, it right. Was, uh, what's your music going to be in your background? I think that was about it. I was going to say, unless you're making some kind of political statement with the music you're picking, I don't know how else you're going to get in trouble on MySpace. But. Or uh, or uh, AIM Instant Messenger. Like, that was the other one. Like, the dialogue. Yep. The do. And you're like, oh, it's taking me five minutes to log on. Today's taking me ten kids, minutes. Kids these days don't know, man. They they get upset when their you know web browser doesn't load in two seconds. They they don't know what it's like having to sit there and wait ten minutes while you attach the internet. And then oh, by the way, you can't make any phone calls after you do that, or it's going to boot you off. So oh yeah, or the the mom or dad get off the computer. I got to call somebody like that type of thing. Yeah. Um, or yeah. getting the newspaper just to see what the other teams did in the area like that type like i think that's why i didn't know anybody you just got the newspaper and you're just looking at for me it was just i'm gonna look at champagne it was a champagne danville you looked at a little bit of like tolono unity like it kind of went a big circle that was it like you now you could watch the news but like after a football game kids you either went out or you went to bed it was one of the two you didn't watch and see who won you had to get the newspaper you had to look at the stats keep newspaper clippings like your parents would keep stuff kids don't have that they have to find it online and they're like well i don't have to print this off it's just here forever like i don't have to worry so send about me it. a link yeah yep, send me i'll a save link. the link forever it's all i need they don't know about walking down like the parents even non-football hey walk down there here's 50 cents go grab some newspapers like they don't remember that. yeah yeah like, i'm only 33 years old and i still remember all that like yeah they 34 remember that as well yeah no i i'm with you yeah they don't know um so this will be a tricky question. So hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say. You walked, you didn't walk on. Sorry, I walked on. You went to Illinois. You got recruited. You got there. You you mentioned you got there. You had to work really hard, like a little extra harder, to pick up everything and be there. Um, today's world is the transfer portal. So if that happens to people, they might tend to leave in the college world. Um, do you take pride in that? You stuck it out and like fought through and got some success and did all that? Um, or do you think maybe you might've transferred? I don't even know. Like I, I've never been in that thought process before. Yeah, no, I, I actually really appreciate this question because I, I am very proud of the fact that I, you know, signed a letter of intent to the university of Illinois. And that's where I graduated from. That's the only place that I played. 
I think that, um, you know, I had opportunities where I certainly questioned, um, like I said, if I was good enough to be here. There were times even after that first year where um, I wasn't really getting a chance to play as much as I thought I deserved. Right. Um, and growing up in Quincy, there's there's a lot of schools around here. Obviously, Western Illinois is right yeah. down the street of Macomb. Yeah. Uh, QU is right here in town, Quincy University, Culver Stockton across the river. Um, and, you know, I actually had the conversation one time. I uh, was home with my parents, and I was just disgruntled. I wasn't happy. And uh, I said, you know, I maybe maybe this isn't where I want to be. And my dad asked me, he's like, where, where are you going to go? And I said, well, I mean, I, maybe I can go to Western. He's like, I mean, that's just no. I mean, that'd yeah. be – that'd be a horrible decision. And that's nothing against Western. I think it's a great place and they've got great people. But I think what he was getting at there was that, you know, you have set yourself up to be in this place at the university of Illinois, a tremendous institution uh, to get a tremendous degree and play in big 10 football. And you're going to walk away before you even really have a chance to see that through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, which I appreciate I mean, I, I went back, you know, I had to keep battling, I had to keep fighting, which is something that I'm going to have to do forever and ever. And, um, I'm very glad that I did that because I, and I was able to start as a junior and a senior my senior year, I was voted a captain for my teammates and, um, you know, was very blessed to be on, uh, two, three very successful teams in this program's history. So, right. um, now, you know, obviously when kids come and go, um, you know, there, there's a myriad of reasons why kids would come and go. I, I, I can remember, I'm sure you remember Jay Prosh, right? Mm-hmm. The fullback from Mobile, Alabama, one of my very good friends um, in college. And, uh, you know, his mother, unfortunately, passed away from cancer when he was a sophomore. And uh, obviously a, a traumatic experience for him and his family. And he didn't really know, you know, if he needed to be at, at Illinois anymore after that and uh, was able to transfer to Auburn and finished out his career there before he was drafted by the, the Texans. But mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's reasons like that that I think are easier for folks to wrap their head around to say, okay, maybe this kid does need to go go closer to home, you know, right. because um, Alabama was where he was from, and, and that is what's best for him and his family. But these guys that they end up going somewhere and they, they, they're there for, for a semester and then they leave after that, uh, they're not really giving themselves a chance. So um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for guys that – graduate from the school that they originally signed out of high school. I get that that's not going to be a hundred percent deal. And that's not to say that the guys that do transfer um, aren't good football players or have their priorities out of line. It's just that uh, I would love to see more people sign at one mm-hmm. place and graduate from there, that type of loyalty and that type of commitment. That's what's going to help take you to places in life. Like as you and I know, I mean, football is such a brief part just a brief moment of our lives. We can only right. play this game for so long. And then when it's done, it's done. We're lucky enough that we get to coach. Now we still at least get to play. Right. And yeah, coaches will come and go, but coaches can also get fired at any moment too. Um, which I think that when you start to, you know, talk about transfer portal and NIL stuff and paying these guys as though they're professionals, then you're going to start to treat these guys like professionals. And it's not going to be, I think what a lot of these folks signed up for initially, you know, and I think that, like I said, there's probably some merit to the ability to transfer, but it just seems like the Wild West right now with what yeah. schools are able to offer NIL and you don't like some place, you can go somewhere else. And I don't know how many guys are sitting in the transfer portal right now, but I think every college in America starts on Tuesday. So if you don't have a place yet, you're not going to have one. So um, it just doesn't seem like – it seems like a very high-risk, low-reward scenario to want to go into the portal. Um, but – 
anyway, I, I had chances where I thought, you know, maybe this isn't where I want to be. And I stuck it out. And I think that, you know, just that decision built a little bit more grit into my life, which then I could pass on to other people. Right. And I don't want to, I mean, we could jump down that rabbit hole as far as we want. It would be hours. But I, re I remember like even when, cause I was in high school when you were at U of I, but like watching those teams, I think the reason why U of I had so much success during those times is all you guys stayed together. And it was just like a grind of like, it's going to burst. It's going to burst and goes to the Rose bowl. Then goes to these other bowls. When this transfer portal's happening, it's it's like a, f a flash in the pan. Like, okay, they're going to do something right now, and then you can't really build that group together and, like, work together. Like, that defense with Jay Lehman, them, you could just tell they could communicate with each other, like, call whatever they wanted. Offensively, we all knew, like, hey, Juice Williams is going to do his thing, and, like, the offensive line is just going to push people around, and you knew what was happening the next year because nobody was leaving because that wasn't a thing. Now it's – what are they going to do next year? What are they going to look like next year type of thing? And that's why I love talking to college coaches. They'll tell me the real of like what's going on in this transfer portal. And they like it due to the fact that they can get older guys in and do something, but they also are tired because how do they keep kids here? You never know when they're going to leave. They could up and leave when almost whenever during those periods. Um, I talked to uh, Coach Rodriguez. He's the line coach at Akron last year. He goes, I've never been more tired. I had to replace like three or four offensive linemen from the portal. He was like, it's great because if they leave, you don't have to bring a freshman into play. You could just replace them. But they also like yep. building up freshmen and sophomores. So they are just kind of all over the place right now. But I think that's why you guys were had finally got a U of I some success is because it just stayed as a core group. And you don't see that as yep. much anymore with the big schools now. U of I doesn't lose a lot of kids. They're going to stay um, those type of schools. But the Alabamas of the world, not Alabamas, but like those other schools, they lose kids left and right. Florida State. Florida right? State. I mean, all these guys from Florida State who are jumping ship and going somewhere else. I mean, it's it's got to be exhausting. I, I coached college football for uh, for one year as Culver Stockton's offensive line coach and their strength coach and had helped out at Quincy University as a volunteer coach um, for a couple of seasons before that when I was first getting into coaching. and um, working the recruiting on that was, was fun and interesting. It was interesting to me because I'd only really had the big school recruiting experience. I didn't right. know how discount rates worked and how you, you uh, package scholarships together and all that. And that experience for me now is, was great because now I, obviously I got more guys that are going to recruit at schools that size than bigger. So I'm able to give them some better advice, but you know, we would try to get a couple of Juco kids uh -huh. and you know, you get some Juco guys and maybe you hit you know, hit it big with them, but you're also, I think to your point, you're getting some of their bad habits that they had mm -hmm. coming in. Whereas you sign a high school kid, you can build that dude up. You can develop him into something down the road. Um, and for us, I mean, I give a lot of credit to coach Zook for doing that, the culture that he built, you know, yeah. he was, uh, he was a tough coach to play for. He was intense. He was fiery and he wanted things done his way. And a lot of times it, it rubs some, some guys on the team the wrong way, but you know, now looking back at it, I'm so grateful to have had, him in my life because of what he was able to do and the guys that he was able to recruit and bring in and retain. And, you know, we didn't have unbelievable facilities. You know, we had a, a new weight room my sophomore year. That was really nice. And uh, I, I love telling people, you know, everybody now has the inlay platforms in their, uh, their weight rooms now. Right. We were the first actually to have the inlay platforms in our floor. I, I'll never forget our strength coach telling us that we're the first ones to ever do that. So, 
you know, we, we kind of had some facilities, but I mean, we had guys that just enjoyed being around each other, uh, enjoyed playing football. Uh, perhaps some of the the toughness and intensity that Zook had galvanized us in a right. way, right? Right. Um, but uh, I wouldn't have traded that for the world. And now, you know, as as a as a high school coach, now uh, our guys are still getting recruited. Like I don't know if it's really affected our guys that much. Um, I we haven't had a real Division One talent here in some time. I think we've got some coming up. But um, not only do you got to recruit a kid once now. But now you got to keep recruiting him yep. when the season's over every year, yep. year after year. And, of course, recruiting is part of the job. So nobody feels bad for a college coach because he has to recruit. I mean, that's what he – really, that's what he gets paid, all the money they get paid to do. Um, but to constantly have to prove yourself and not spend time developing a guy and building a relationship because you're worried about him having to leave, I mean, no doubt. That's – like, I, I think something has to happen about this. I think – there, there may not be one easy answer, and I do, I do agree that players should be treated a certain way. Yep. Um, but it's tough when, yeah, if they're only going to come for a semester, they don't like how little they've been playing, and then they want to leave. Like, where are the adults in that kid's life giving him that kind of advice? Like, that's not, that's not good advice either, in my opinion. No. Like talking to college coaches, and um, they said, "Oh, we remember either when they played or when they started recruiting." a kid would show up and it was about the school. It was about everything else. Now when they show up, if it's, I'm talking about division, like big time, it's how much money am I about to make? And then they worry about everything else. I'm all for college players being paid. That's not my issue whatsoever. You guys, I wish you all got paid back when you guys played. Like you deserve it. You know, like all you guys deserve all that. It's the, like you said, semester leave, semester leave. I have a solution. Every college kid gets one free transfer just because you never, like you said, you never know. Like maybe it's two years in, it's something happens. They don't like they whatever. Everybody has a reason. I think one free one, unless your head coach leaves. So like just now with the Alabama stuff or resigns or everything else, then you get a second one. The whole going every year I think needs to stop. And yeah. that's my solution. But it's uh, like I said, it's not going to work for everybody. But that's just my opinion. But. Yeah, I I think it's reasonable, right? I mean, if you you get one one free chance to go somewhere because if a, a college coach has a better opportunity somewhere else, they can go. Yeah. Of course, that college coach is going to go with that opportunity, having that opportunity secure before he goes. Now right. the gamble is, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna enter the portal and hope that I find a better opportunity. That's true. And if I don't, yeah. then what happens? Then then yeah. you're really screwed, right? right. Um, and I, I believe that one of the rules now is that the second school they transfer to, they they're now responsible for the graduation piece of this. Okay. And I think that, yeah. I think that one, and, and maybe that's not completely accurate, but I think that they're, you know, the academic side of this is just as important as the football side. And some people are going to argue maybe more important, but I mean, we could argue that to our blue in the face, but the fact of the matter is these kids go to college to get a degree. Mm-hmm. And if, if it weren't for football, a lot of these guys may not even go. Like I, I probably wouldn't have gone to college had it not been for football. Uh, my mom probably wouldn't like hearing me say that, but I wasn't <laughs> a tremendous student, right? I mean, these these guys aren't uh, getting thirty six on their ACTs every year, you know. I mean, uh, and and that's fine, but you know, it's it's not good for you academically to go from one school to another year after year if you've got to constantly relearn, you know, the the new amenities that they have for academics and all that, and meeting right. new teachers that type of consistency is also a part of it as well. 
And yeah, college football is a business and they need to make money and win games and do that. But you also to have the, the kids best interest at heart. You got to do what it takes for them to graduate. And if we're constantly moving from one place to another and maybe I take a class at this school and credits don't transfer over to this school. So now you're wasting time, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you're, you're pissing away opportunities at that point. It's like, man, you need to get this degree. And um, I mean, we can argue how important college degrees are anymore, but if you're going to, to college, I mean, you're going to get a degree. Um, so I think sometimes guys priorities are out of whack and, you know, maybe there's some good middle ground and, and, you know, you hope that the NCAA is, is trying to find a solution to all that, but, uh, it's not going to make everybody happy, but, you know, I think a lot of people miss the, the old days of, mm-hmm. you know, building that team and, and you going to one school and graduating from that school. And, you know, like, I, like, I love the U of I, right. I love Illinois. We, we give to Illinois and we're a lion eye through and through in this household, orange and blue. I mean, if I did go there, you know, would I still have the same feeling towards that school? Right. And could I ever really support one school over another if I've gone to three or four of them? You know, mm-hmm. that'd be that'd be difficult. Right. I always thought that too. Like, I wasn't real. Like, I'll use Bo Nix as an example. Not really mad at him. He was at Auburn for a little bit. Things kept changing. He goes to Oregon. That part, cool. Like, I can understand that. He still loves Auburn. Loves Oregon. It's the ones that have four different schools, like you said. Like, did you really love that school? Where's the school pride anymore of, like you said, you're Illinois through and through. If you went to Florida, you probably would have been Florida through and through. Like, that was the school. Um, Some of these guys that have been at the five or six schools in six years, you're like, wait, what? And now it's trickled down to, like, high school. Like, they kind of see that and they kind of want to do the same thing of – Maybe not in Illinois, but I see it in California and other places. Like, they're just going to go school to school. Well, this coach doesn't play me as much, or this coach yelled at me, or this coach said this, and then they move. And so, like, I think that's why there's a coaching shortage, too, like, everywhere. Like, we're – like, I know in Illinois there's a bad coaching shortage. There's a ref shortage. I saw in Texas there were still, like, thousands of coaching jobs open and teaching jobs. You're like, oh, that stinks. Like, it's just all kind of – trickling down college coaches they're getting burnt out too like you said we don't really feel bad if you're getting paid the big money it's the one double a's it's the division twos that are getting paid less than a twenty-four thousand dollars a year you know yeah Yeah, those type of people you know talking to college coaches they're like yeah there's not as many ga's there's not as many people doing this anymore high school we're seeing that too we had four coaches leave two years ago and it took it took our head coach seven months to find coaches like almost till the next year like to find coaches you just can't do it anymore it's yeah it's a tough business and i feel like you know you probably say that for a lot of lines of work right i mean nobody wants to do a lot of things anymore and that's that's a you don't know what to pinpoint that on is it a technology thing is it a culture thing i mean what is it i mean i you'd hope that people just find something that they love to do and want to go pursue that. And, you know, no matter what line of work you're in, whether it's coaching, teaching, uh, business, law enforcement, whatever, everybody has their BS that they have to deal with, right. In their job, Uh, a college coach's BS is different than mine. Mine Mm -hmm. is different from theirs, you know, but uh, it's just your ability to want to put up with that and uh, to want to keep, doing what it is that you're called to do, because as you and I know, and a lot of your listeners know, this is a calling, what we get to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're not getting rich off of doing this. We love helping young people. We love football. We love winning games. I mean, to me, there's no greater drug in the world than trying to win a football game. I mean, just Mm -hmm. the thrill that you get from doing that. So um, I don't know, but 
I think what it also tells me is that there's an opportunity for for growth, right? There's an opportunity for uh, a landslide of new officials and new coaches, and 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 that maybe we're in the dark before the dawn stages of a new kind of era with all that. Um, where where there's a shortage, that means there's an opportunity for more people to come and do it, and maybe there's a maybe there's a boom on the horizon for us because I don't see this going away, right? right. It's not like we're not going to have high school, college, professional football. And it just, it requires other people to want to step up and be part of it. So, um, let's get back to you before I jump down another stupid rabbit hole. Uh, did you always know you wanted to coach? Was that just something that you always thought about or did that develop later on in life? No, I, I think that, uh, like I said, football has always been a driving part of my life. It's such an enormous part of who I am and always has been. Um, and I think that, you know, my parents, Thank, thank God, we're never afraid to tell me that, you know, you're only going to be able to play football for so long. Like right. you got to have a plan for when your playing days are done. Um, and I thought, well, what, what's, what's an easier transition than from going to, from player to a coach. And, uh, you know, really what I'm doing now is what I've always wanted to do. Uh, I always wanted to become the head football coach at Q and I wanted to take over for Bill Connell who coached me. And I, have such a tremendous amount of respect for him and and just the culture of our school and our Catholic identity and mm-hmm. and who we are. Um, I in my sophomore year in high school in English class we had to write an essay about a potential career that we wanted to have later in life and I wrote about wanting to be the head football coach at Q and D and probably at the time what I didn't appreciate was that really a career in coaching football is a career in education mm-hmm. and uh, you know if if you would have told 15, 16 year old me that I was going to become a teacher one day and I was going to be going to school every day and working in the school. I'd have thought, man, that doesn't seem like my character right now, <laughs> but, uh, but that's what it is. I mean, I, I'm a PE and health teacher at Q and D and, and so I'm in a classroom every day with students and, uh, also getting to coach football. So I, I really am, I, I'm doing what everything that I've wanted to do in the sense that I'm coaching football for Q and D. And the only way that I can do that is also to be a teacher. And, and really, honestly, the best way to do that. And the mm-hmm. best coaches are the ones who are in the building with the kids every day and, and have that constant face-to-face interaction with them. And, uh, and, and also coaching is teaching, right? So it all goes hand in hand. So, uh, yeah, I'd say I, I always wanted to become a football coach. I specifically wanted to coach where I'm coaching now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I've got no plans of going anywhere at this point, uh, our, my wife and I just welcomed our second child a couple of weeks ago, and we want both my wife and I graduated from QND in 2007. We want the same for our children. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm living the dream right now. Really, am as blessed as uh, as anybody could possibly be. Well, congratulations on the baby, and you're spending time away from that to talk to me. Thank so, you. I apologize for that. <laughs> she, she's she's sleeping right now, so no okay. big deal. That's that's why this is a perfect time. <laughs> uh, I always feel bad when something like that happens to a coach. I'm like, and you're talking to the stupid guy in Illinois up in the suburbs. Like, come on now, <laughs> you're taking time away. <laughs> That's the life of coaching football, you know. And and I tell you, it's it's awesome because now you know another one one other of my goals in life, just to share a personal story with you. You know, I wanted to play professional football, and yeah, I uh, was very blessed to get to do that very very briefly, but it was there nonetheless. And I I've always seen bit you know you see these videos growing up of these players with their kids at training camp and playing with them on the practice field mm-hmm. after practice. And I, and I always wanted that, you know, and uh, obviously didn't have a long enough NFL career to see that through, but now I can do that with my kids and you know, right. my son 
uh, my son's first two words were football and touchdown. And it's not, <laughs> I swear, I was not trying to teach him how to say those words. He, that's just what he did. And he loves football. We play football in the baseball all the time. He puts his little helmet on and he comes and tackles me and, and he has the time of his life and he comes around practice and is with our guys. And, um, you know, I just think for him to be able to grow up with that, I mean, my God, what, what an awesome way right. to get to grow up around a football team, obviously, uh, you know, our Catholic faith is, is intertwined with our school. And, and so all of that is such, <clears throat> I think what, what any parent, what I would want for my kid. And that's what he gets to have. So I'm sure our daughter will be the same. If she's going to be a, a dancer or an, a, a soccer player, or whatever she wants to be, they're going to get to grow up right, right around Q and D. And so that's, that's such a blessing. Um, so you always knew you wanted to coach at some point in your life, you knew you wanted to go back to your high school and coach. Was there any trickiness to that? And what I mean by that is like your school has a culture, like, okay, this is a tradition or anything else. When you take over, was there any part of like, okay, we're going to keep some of this tradition or one part of this culture, but there's also what I want, like for me, what I've learned at U of I or in the NFL or from any coach that you've had, like, was there any like, okay, we're going to do some of what I want to do. How do I build this culture up the way I want it? Not saying the old way was wrong but you have your own identity. Was there any trickiness to that or did you kind of just flow into it? I would say I flowed, flowed right into it. Honestly, it, this situation for me uh, couldn't have been any better because I took over for the guy that I played for, right. who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, who I learned so much from. And, um, you know, obviously I, I have had a football education outside of that that has given me a certain level of experience and, um, things that I would want to do. And, and he's very supportive of that. And, uh, but I, I think to your point, there were so many positive culture aspects of our football program that mm -hmm. I, I grew up loving. I grew up being in grade school, being a part of when I was in high school and still supporting after the fact that, uh, you know, our, our motto when I took over was new era, same tradition. Okay. So yeah. it's just a new coach. It's a new era of our football program, but it's going to be the same tradition uh, we're going to play great defense. We're going to have great fundamentals. We're going to work hard. We're going to raise respect respectful young men. We're going to be leaders in our community. We're going to try to be the best versions of ourselves every single day and let that translate to the field. We're not going to be afraid to back down from a challenge. I mean, anybody that follows our program and sees our schedule understands that we play a tremendously tough schedule. It's only mm -hmm. going to be, uh, it's only going to continue to be tough now that we're going to join the central state eight next year. Um, but no, I, there were, you know, and I wouldn't say culture things that we changed. I think we just kept harping on those same things and uh -huh. did them our way. Uh, there wasn't anything that we got rid of. I think uh, Coach Cannell is, uh, like I said, a good friend of mine. I think he would be the first to tell you that maybe some of the things that he did at the end of his coaching career maybe were a little bit old school. And so uh -huh. we had to change our mindset some. Um, you know, we we now play in the, the training camp era, right? Uh, I played, you and I would have played in the two-a-day era. Right. Now we coach yep. in the training camp era. Yep. So these are two different types of preparation as far as your approach goes. So our summer is totally different now than what his summer was. Right. I mean, we have obviously working out year-round and how we study film and how we limit the time that we're on the practice field is is totally different than where before. It's like, all right, we'd be out there for three hours. You know, you get 30 minutes of water break. Maybe we can have water bottles at every drill, you know, mm -hmm. so we don't have to take... 10 minutes every, you know, so often practice. So those little changes like that. But no, I, I think that the, there were three other guys that interviewed for this job. None of them were Q and D guys. None of them played for coach Cannell. I don't know how any of them would have been able to handle because coach Cannell is still our athletic director. He's our Dean of students. Okay. So he's in the building yeah. every day. And so I see him constantly. We work well together. 
Um, and yeah, a lot of people told me you don't want to be the guy to replace the guy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, but the guy that I'm replacing is my guy. Like right. I'm his guy, you know, right. like I played here, I graduated here, I'm born and raised here. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't say it was tricky at all. I, it certainly was, there was a lot to learn. I became a head coach after only coaching for like three years before that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really like 10 years into my coaching career. Uh, so I'm very blessed and fortunate to have been available to be, to take this job right at the same time that coach Cannell's son graduates. Uh, and so I stepped in and, and it's really just been a blessing. Love to go, love going to work every day. Uh, the people that I work with, you know, we all have the same values and see things, see things generally the same way. And we all want to win and we have great pride in Q and D. Yeah. Cause I, like I said, I walked on Eastern wasn't for me. You get your butt kicked a few times and you're just kind of like, people can call me weak, whatever they want. But I, it was mainly football's not fun. Like I couldn't even watch football on TV. Like it got to that point where I was like, yeah. I hate this. And I was like, I can't do that. So I started coaching at my high school right away, traveling back and forth from Eastern back to like back and forth, 45 yeah. minute drive. And it was very tricky going back to coach at my high school. Cause it was like some of those kids I played with. So that was a little tricky Like now you're yelling at them. You're seeing the old school way. That's the only way you know. And I guess from my experience, then when my head coach got let go, I started coaching at Charleston, start to see things the way they do it. Then we moved up to the suburbs. I coached at Glenbard East up here, saw how he did it, went to East Aurora, saw how he did it. Now I'm at Addison Trail High School, and it's just – so I always like to ask people that because I learned so many different things, whether not to do it or to do it. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes not to do it was better than learning how to do it, if that makes sense. No doubt. It does. And, and I think there's value to that type of exposure that you've been and learned from all these different kinds of coaches. Like for me, um, I became an assistant coach under Bill Connell, was his offensive line coach for two years. And then I was an uh, assistant coach at Culver Stockton for a year before I got this job. So other than my playing days, I don't have that same type of experience with other programs and other cultures and obviously as you know like being a coach is totally different than being a player yeah um there's still you know was able to play for a lot of really really good coaches a lot of coaches that I learned a lot of things from and like to your point a lot of things that I don't want to do a lot of things that I want to continue to do and even like I a lot of things and I love it because sometimes when I'm coaching a kid and, and I'll, the words that I use or how I say it is the way that a coach that I played for would have done it would have uh-huh. said it and you know, for example, I, I was blessed to play for the Oakland Raiders and mm-hmm. uh, played for Coach Tony Sperano, who uh, was in the NFL for a long, long time. Yeah. God rest his soul. And uh, I mean, just the way that he talked to us. I mean, he's this, you know, uh, Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. New York Italian guy with the gold chain. And I mean, he's like he's straight out of the Sopranos kind of guy, <laughs> you know, but just how he talks. And now I'll kind of use some of those same mannerisms and I catch myself thinking, I mean, that's, you know, that's how guys like that live on, you know, and that's how uh, I can kind of relive some of those days as well. But that just, again, goes to show you the impact that guys like that have on your life now and how it never stops. And, you know, now as a coach that you're doing that to these kids, you got to do everything you can. And yeah, there's, there's going to be things that our players that I do that they don't like. Uh, Sometimes I may have a short temper. I get irritated sometimes and, I got to do better at that. There's always things that everybody can do better right. at, right? But, um, yeah, I, I think that obviously you, you play for a lot of coaches or you coach alongside with other coaches and you see how they do things and you start to make it your own. So, fortunately, I was able to have enough of that in a short amount of time mm-hmm. to give somebody the faith and confidence that I can lead a program 
and have been doing that now for six years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would take me 15 minutes to explain everywhere I've been. That was just football coaching. I like I coached at Charleston Middle School for basketball, high, Charleston High School basketball. Oh, God. Then up here, I've coached at Equal Valley High School for basketball. I coached at York High School for baseball. Like, it's been – I've been – Yeah. And this Addison Trail Life was – of a coach. Addison Trail was the first time, though, that I have been in the building and coached football in the building at the same time. Like, it was the very first yeah. time. I was always outside. Charleston, I was a, co- a college kid. I was a 23, 24-year-old OC, like, coming in, like, thinking I knew yeah. – I think I knew it all. And realized very quickly you know nothing when you're that young and you're calling plays because you think you're just going to walk out there and call plays. You think you're just going to pull things that you see on Saturday and, like – I remember one time my play sheet was like three pages and I sat down and I'm like, this is a lot, but I could do this. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. And so I've been all over the place. So I have pulled from basketball coaches, baseball coaches, football coaches, and just kind of, cause I'm the run game coordinator now, which fancy way of saying you're the old line coach, but it's just like yours. (laughs) I just pulled from everybody. So I like to ask people that cause I've been all over the place. I pull things from everybody. They all have different views. They all have different ways of doing things. And the big thing is, I've learned how to be new school, I guess, in today's world. Like, I remember getting to Glumbard East, and he let the kids bring a speaker out to practice. And I looked at him, and I was like, you allow this? Like, I've never been at a place that allowed this. Like, oh, hell no, we ain't bringing a speaker, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, Steve, I'm old school, but I have to be old school, new school. He goes, I'm old school, but I have to be. Like, if it's a bad practice, like, we're goofing off or, like, an hour into it, I can already tell, old school comes out. He's mm-hmm. like, but we have to cater to the new school of like, hey, if this speaker and they play their stupid music, makes them have a good practice, I'm all for it. Like that type of thing, just for a small example. And some of the kids are always be like, oh, that's no fun Steve over there. He doesn't want the speaker because I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want this or, you know, whatever it was. And, I, and so I've learned every, to be- every team. Every team needs a no fun Steve. Sometimes I'm the no fun Steve on our team. You know, I'm <laughs> the biggest bad guy there is when it comes to that stuff. But you're right. Um, and then the new new school I've done is um, how I've gone about practice with my guys. And what I mean by that is, um, Coach Tony Holler, feed the cat stuff. He's right down the road. He lives like ten minutes down the street from me. And one thing I learned um, during COVID was I didn't understand what he was doing. I was like wait a minute or like coach Dixon, you know, he's right at camp point right down there and stuff like that. Like, I don't get what he's doing. I don't understand it. Like, it doesn't make sense. We all grew up in three a days, two a days. This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And for some reason this year it all clicked. And I said, okay, new school, my old linemen are not going to hit as much in practice depending on what we're doing. And my head coach goes, what do you mean? And I said, okay, we can't two platoon. Like some of our guys have to practice defense just in case. So we split it. Yeah. I have to look and see what the D-line's doing. So if the D-line is going before us, and I see they're doing a lot of hitting and one-on-one, if I see they've got inside run and team and blah, 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 when I get to the old lineman, okay, we're going to hit bags. We're hitting bags, working on our footwork. We're going to work on our mental part of it because we also have inside run and team. That's a lot of hitting. And this was the first year I did it, and I have a senior who started since he was a sophomore. The first two days we did it, he goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, last year's Coach Steve and the year before and the year before, we'd be hitting one-on-one. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. You're yelling. You're hooping and hollering. Like, what's going on here? 
And I said, oh, you know, I want your guys' bodies fresh. You know, I think we have a team that can make the playoffs. Like, we got to be healthy and everything else. And he goes, well, I want to hit people. I'm like, that's good. Hit them in team. That's good. Yeah. Wait for that. And then if I saw D-line was doing more walkthroughs, then I would go down with my old lineman and do more of like, okay, put the hand shields down. Now we're going to thud a little bit. Yeah. And I think it helped because this was the – my time at Addison Trail has been since COVID. Every year I never went more than two games in a row with the same starting O-line. Somebody was always getting oh, wow. hurt. Somebody was always yeah. whatever. Whether they played defense and they got hurt, whether it was me – this year was the first time I went five in a row with the same lineman. The only reason why, like that six one, I didn't was because mom and dad took him out of town for the weekend, and we couldn't do anything about it. Like it was that type of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, but they were we were all healthy, and I would always ask the guys at halftime, "Hey, how do we feel?" I'm like we feel pretty fresh. Like we feel pretty good. So I was hoping there was something to that, like the new school way of, like yeah, like. And I don't punish them by running anymore. It's not doing up downs. It's not running. I now do the mental thing where I'm like, "Hey, go sit in the corner over there and just watch us practice." And now some therapist out, out, yeah, some therapist or psychologist, like, "Hey, that's not good on their mental state." And I'm like, "Yeah, but you don't know football. Go sit over there and watch." Yeah, yeah. I don't make a therapist try to teach somebody to block a three technique, right? Or the or the damn four eyes that I love to see all the time. Or the four eyes, yeah. So you know, it's funny you say that because yeah, Brad Brad's a good friend of mine as well. He, you mentioned Camp Point right down yeah. the street from us, and uh, it's been really fun to watch his success and his growth over time and how he's taken – I mean, I you know, Camp Point football has never been – they've been good, right? Mm-hmm. But now they're dominating. I mean, they're really winning at a level that is very, very much um, the result of the policies and, you know, things, the culture that Brad Dixon has brought in, you know. Yep. Um, and, and, and I dig it. I dig all that. And I think for, for us at Q&D, you know, um, maybe we don't feed the cats necessarily, but I think that it's, it's, uh, it's the same type of mentality and that less is more yep. these days, you know? Yep. And I love, I love the way that Brad Dixon puts it. He says, leaving me on the bone, right? They yeah. may practice team defense for like 10 minutes and then uh-huh. be done. And they've got those guys, like you said, that want to hit somebody. So they leave some meat on the bone. And, and I, I dig that. And I think for us and in, in my experience, you know, uh, our age, we're, 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 we're at like the perfect age where we saw the the NFL, what it was before this mm-hmm. new CBA and what it is now. We remember the NFL before Roger Goodell bungled all the concussion stuff and what it's like now. And when we were growing up, it was two a days and it was, you know, run yep. as hard as you can and build that mental toughness, this, that, and the other. And there's certainly, I believe there's something to that. Maybe not the mindless conditioning at the end of practice. Yeah, right. we've never right. done that unless they've done something really egregious to piss you off, which right. teenage boys are capable of doing that for sure. Um, but, you know, when I got in college, two-a-days were going by the wayside. At Illinois, uh-huh. we would have two-a-days, yep. but it would be an every-other-day thing, right? Yep. We could have a two-a-day two on a Monday, but then a one-a-day on a Tuesday. Uh-huh. And uh, as a side, I liked two-a-days better in college because two-a-day days – had more opportunities to take naps than just one day. <laughs> the one day practices, you were in meetings all day and you weren't taking many naps, but two a days, right. you're going to get a, a couple of solid naps in, but that, that's neither here nor there. Um, but 2011 was my last uh, season in college. And that was when the CBA expired in the, in the NFL. And that mm-hmm. was when, you know, they had the lockout and all that. So then my rookie year, when I get to Baltimore, there was a new CBA. Two a days were no longer a thing. You know, you could only be on the practice field for like two and a half or three mm-hmm. hours. 
and you could meet for a certain amount of time and the, the days all started the same. And so it didn't matter if you were in San Diego, California, or you were in Buffalo, New York. I mean, everybody was on the same schedule. What you did with those hours that was, you know, based on you, your coaching decisions and all mm-hmm. that, but right. you weren't out there for very long and you had to go from one thing to the next, to the next. And there wasn't a lot of downtime. And even in college, it was that way. Like mm-hmm. Zook, Zook's big thing was, if you don't know where to go, just start running and we'll get you there. Stand fast was what he'd always say. And, and a lot of guys understand that he, he would say, sleep fast and stand fast. And we're like, I don't mm-hmm. know what that means, coach, but <laughs> you're saying it. So we're going to try. But there was no wasted time in practice, which is exactly what we want to have now. Like now, uh, the longest practice we'll have is two hours. Uh, In the summertime, it's an hour, hour and a Uh half, maybe. And uh, and yeah, we're we're not beating guys to death. You know, we're not. uh, We still do the inside run drills and team and all that kind of stuff. And and we'll push a sled and we'll do one on ones and uh, you know the circle drill type of stuff and that kind of thing. But we're not going to line up and run 30 plays a team mm-hmm. and practice and tackle yep. each other the whole time. I mean, that, that stuff certainly has gone by the wayside. And, yep. uh, you know, while I can dig the, uh, you know, they, they put like a brand on it, the, the feed the cats thing. And that makes it so relatable to coaches now. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense and it's obviously very successful at what it does. Um, but it is still crazy to me that there's, there's teams out there that will go for three hours a day and, uh, and, and I even knew this before Brad started talking about this. I, I, when I'd see another team doing static stretch before the game, man, I'd get excited. Cause he, cause you know, just as an athlete that that's not going to get them fast and ready to go, but, um, it's, but it's changed. And I think that for, for me personally, it's going through that regimented experience of the NFL and college and only mm-hmm. having a certain amount of hours in the day to be doing anything. And you got to make sure you maximize that, um, and even now our off the field stuff we do with meetings and watching yep. film and all that, that takes up the majority of our time anymore right. and not just practice. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's a, just a never ending deal. And I think you and I are in the same boat. I mean, we don't have a lot of guys that go both ways. We got to be creative with how we get guys ready and how we deliver them to the game. And um, it just forces you as a coach to be that much more organized. And if you're not organized during the week, if you're not organized during the year, how the hell are you going to be organized on game day? Right. Because I remember, I mean, you you do too. I remember, I think it was 2007 maybe. School started way later. You were graduated, but I think it was 2007. I was a junior maybe. We had two or three weeks of two-a-day just because school started later and football started at the same time. That was awful. You talk, yeah. you talk about being terrible. And then my senior year, which would have been the 2008 season because I graduated in 2009, that was the um, – you're only allowed four or five days. Like It was like football started on a Monday or Tuesday, and you only had that week of two days, and it had to go be one. That's when yeah. we, well, that's when it phased out. But I remember starting yeah. to coach. I coached at my high school. Two days were still kind of a thing. Then when I got to Charleston, that's when it kind of changed the hours. Like you're, You could go three hours if you wanted to, but then like – or two and a half hours, but then the next day had to be like an hour and a half or something like that. Yeah, and my, the kids I coached didn't know what two days were, and I remember calling them like, "Oh, you're soft. You don't know what two days are." And then now I look back at it, and I'm like, "Well, let's see. My back hurts. My knee hurts. My ankles hurt. Maybe there was something to not. Maybe there is something yeah. to not be doing that." Like, uh, you there, know. there's an infinite amount of ways to make practice and training camp hard without beating their brains in. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's getting them there earlier in the day and ending you know, earlier in the day or, uh, you know, giving them more stuff to think about and watching film. And, 
uh, you know, the exercises and the filler in between times that you could do. But yeah, I mean, now for us, we, you know, we, we're actually the first high school in the state to start the school year. So we start very early compared to everybody else. You know, uh-huh. we, when, when two a days open on that Monday, I think this year was like August 8th or whatever, we're, we're starting school on August 10th. So we get two days where we don't have anything else going on. And that's like our only real training camp days. Right. You know, part of it to me too, is also like, it's, it's supposed to be hard. Like you don't want it to be easy. You don't want it to be impossible. You don't want to run kids off. That's not the kind of hard that I'm talking about. But to me, the, the, the toughness factor and the difficulty of football was part of the experience that I enjoyed looking back on it. Like it's not fun in the meantime, but once you go through that with your, with your friends and your boys, it's like, man, we did this, you know, yeah. um, that builds camaraderie, you know, going through that type of adversity builds camaraderie uh, almost better than anything else does. And so right. uh, we try to mimic that as best we can in on the Monday and Tuesday, but then school gets going and obviously other priorities take over. But um yeah, like I said, it's just a matter of being uh, smart with your time. And in the NFL, I mean, that's that's all they, they could do was be mm-hmm. very regimented with their time. And so that just kind of naturally uh, was how, how things made sense in my brain. Right. Or like, I mean, for us, what's we look at mental toughness now. It's like, okay, you got a minute left, you got to score. Like put them in pressure situations and you just make it random. Like uh, it could be at the end of – it could be right in the middle of defensive time. All right, team, you just all of a sudden blow the whistle. It's crazy. Like, hey, go. We're going to put you in a pressure situation. There's 10 seconds left. They can't score. Like, I think that's how our toughness has changed. Like, are you really tough because you can hit for an hour straight or two hours straight? Or are you mentally tough as a team because you just got put in that situation on the fly? You didn't complain. You didn't moan. You just went out there. And if we score, okay, well, then as a coach, you go, okay, we did it in the middle of our defensive time. We still have team. Now we can fix it. Like, do you see guys what happened? Like, you never know. Like, our offense could turn the ball over. Or defensively, hey, they could score. Now we got to go down and score, or we got to get a field goal, like random, and that type of mental pressure situation to put them in. Being, being situationally aware, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, I think that, and that's also like practices in the NFL are mainly you got your team periods, your red zone, inside run, and all that. But there also is a lot of emphasis on situation, and you got to be able to think in certain situations and react to any kind of sudden change. And, you know, I, I like that same, uh, what you said about just throwing a situation out in the middle of the team and, and going, and and if there's a mistake, fix it. Right. Cause you still got time after the fact to do that. But, um, you know, situationally is something that we always try to get better and better at every year to stay locked in the situation, in the game. And uh-huh. it's hard for guys in college and the pros to do it, let alone high school kids to be locked into, okay, it's third down third and long, you know, the ball's on this yard line. I mean, they, the score is this, like they got to have, uh, they got to make, you know, this many yards or whatever. Like guys aren't really thinking like that. They're just kind of reading and reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, you know, trying to put more emphasis on that, you know, that to me is how you make the game hard now. That's yeah. how you make the preparation yeah. hard now. How can you perform physically while also being sharp mentally? Like that's really what it's at. Whereas before it was just all about, let me make you as tough or make you as physically demanding as I can so that you will be the physically superior athlete when you get to the game. Now with the rules the way they are, you got to be the smarter player. The smarter players are going to mm-hmm. be the ones that are the most prepared and the most likely to win. Yeah. And real quick to poke fun, the, the, the static stretching or even the moving stretching, I can't stand it no more. Like all that stuff, our strength coach, God bless him. He's young. He interned at Northwestern for like a year and a half so everything we do Ugh. is like what they do, 
And so two years ago, I could put up with it this year because I got more into the why are we doing this type of thing. Like I would rather take the old line and just slowly walk through things right at the beginning of practice for five minutes, then we get going, you know, because to me that's the ultimate movement or like, hey, today the D-line can go do stuff. They're moving. They're they're moving around. They don't need to stretch or do the Frankenstein walks and do this and do this. Like, to me, that's getting them tired before we even do anything yep. else, you know, which is not how we all grew up. We all grew up like this is what you have to do. And I'm like, nah, just move around. You know, we don't have to. Yeah. And so every single day in practice, I walked out there. This flex period's stupid. This flex period is stupid just every day. And the head coach finally said, well, what should we do? I'm like, more productive things? Why are we doing – but I will say this. Uh, not last year, but the year before, because he had connections to Northwestern, we got to go watch a practice. We got to go to there and watch. I'm a U of I guy, so when we walked on, I'm like, am I allowed to, to be standing here and watching this? Yeah. And yep. – uh, Great facilities. Uh, Fitzgerald was awesome. He came up and just talked to us like a normal guy. Talked to us for like – he gave us the time of day. Talked to us for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, come up to us every 20 minutes or so during practice. You guys good? You guys need anything? Here's our practice script. You know, walk around, be a part of the drill, do whatever. Like he was awesome. Uh, gave us a tour. Um, I didn't see any shady stuff going on, and that's all I'll say about that. I'm like, I don't – there was nothing there, but – um, but, it, but the practice, my main point is I watched their practice and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We do the exact same thing. So that's where this guy's getting it from. You know, like we're doing exactly yeah. what they do and I hate it so much. Like, uh, I'm like, I always said it to him like, oh yeah, let's get tired before the game. Let's get tired <laughs> this year. And they're like, Steve, yeah. shut up, shut up. Cause they'd watch my old line warm up back in the day. You know, you, you break off old line down here. We're hitting right before the game. You're doing all that stuff. This year, they come down with me. Okay, guys, we're just going to real quick, wide zone steps here, remember this, inside zone steps right here. We're going to walk through a couple plays just to remember, like, hey, we're going to see this 3-5, 3-3 stack. They're going to move here, remember, just real quick. And then we go off to the sideline. And we just watch everybody else do their thing for like 10 minutes. And I've heard people, I can hear people in the stands, what are they doing? And I want to turn around, like, we're resting, we're resetting our bodies. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's just all it's different. You don't, you don't, yeah, you don't need to go and get your heart rate up because if, as any any young man that's worn a helmet and shoulder pads will tell you, before you go out to the field, your heart's going. I mean, you're pumping, mm-hmm. and especially those early season games. Like, you know, for us this year, uh, the first game of the year we played Quincy High. I mean, it's like it's, it was 130 yeah. degrees all week. You know, yeah. like it was stupid hot, stupid hot, and it's like. You know, we think about all right. What do we need to do for our pregame warmup? Like, we really don't need to do anything. No, you no. Go, go stand outside for five minutes, and you're sweating. You know, yeah, like just, you know, we'll throw some. Yeah. Right, we'll we'll run some plays. Like, you got to get that stuff loosened up. But I mean, you really don't need to go through a line of stretching. I mean, my God, you just spend any amount of time out there. Now, when you go through the season, you get into the postseason, all that. I mean, that's a different deal when it's a little bit colder. But um, like in Baltimore, and and this I think probably blows a lot of people away. In Baltimore, we didn't have a team stretch, right? There was no team flex period. And I think the thought was that you only have two and a half hours to be on the practice field, uh, and we're going to make all two and a half of those hours count for football. 
everybody warm up on your own. Everybody do your own thing. I mean, you're professionals. You know how to to take care of your body. You do that. And then when the horn blows, we're going to start. Right. And obviously, we can't expect high school kids to warm themselves up on their own. But, I mean, there's certainly – you don't need to sit there and, and run them to death. One of the, the biggest mistakes that I ever made in my coaching career, and I'll never forget as long as I live – uh, you know, our dynamic warmth that we do before practice and games are the same, but a little bit different. My mm-hmm. first ever game as a head coach, we play at Lexington High School in Missouri. And they, this small country school, I mean, their, their grass is how tall. I, it's uh, really hot outside. And I tell our strength guy to put him through the whole warm up. And in hindsight, that was just the stupidest, the actual stupidest thing I could have done. Basically put him through a conditioning test before the game even started. But it's like, you know, not even half. If we just did a quarter of what we just did, we're fine. And we don't need yeah. to be out there for two hours before a game going and doing that kind of stuff. But, right. but again, it, the less is more these days. I mean, the, you know, these kids, you, you, you give them too many stretches to do anyway, they're going to start to half-ass it through the stretch as it is. Like, it's counterproductive. It's not, not mm-hmm. going to do them any good anyway. Yeah. I'm hoping that I've complained enough i called her or whatever you want to call it enough to where we don't do it this year because um i don't care if i call this other tradition addison trail before i even got here we didn't do it for two or three years now we start doing it they used to go in and do like power cleans and stuff for reps before the game and that was like the strength thing you know and i and i would never forgive they came back and started doing it this year and i walked in, i go what the hell are they doing in there and they're like oh they're doing the tradition and then doing that and i'm like yeah let's lift as heavy as possible for reps before we go play a football game and i got really upset and i got mad and they're like why don't you be the strength coach i was like i will we won't be doing that but we did win games after doing it so they were like see we're winning games and i'm like or is it because we're not t- or we're not beating them up during the week we we could it's apples and oranges. Like, come on now. Like, which one yeah. is it? Like, because I got guys, think about it. Would you want to go do that before going and hitting for a quarter or two? I'm like, no, I don't want to go do that. Yeah. You know, whenever I got under a bar, I always wanted to push myself and I wanted to lift the heaviest possible weight. And I couldn't imagine doing that before, you know, going to a game. That would definitely be, I, I think, certainly the science that's coming out with lifting on game day is something that I can get behind, not lifting for reps or for weight or anything like that. But, you know, movement is good, and especially yeah. when you got a generation now of kids that want to play Fortnite all day. I mean, <laughs> these guys need a little bit extra, a little bit extra to go. I, it's funny when uh, you know before the second round playoff game, and, and I probably speak for every coach in the state, uh, in the country rather that experienced this. You know, uh, we played Nashville the second round of the playoffs on Saturday, uh, and on Friday, like during the school week, I hear kids start to talk about Fortnite again. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard Fortnite get talked about in a long time, right? Yep. So then at our team dinner, uh, now everybody is talking about the new Fortnite game is coming out tonight. Yep. And all I can think about was, oh, man. Oh, man. What a what a bad night for this game to come out. For, yep. for, for everybody playing the next day on Saturday, like your kids, you tell them to go to sleep, and you just hope that they are. But um, like I said, any, anything to get these kids moving, though, is going to be a good thing, I think. Oh, thank goodness, because I remember that. The second round, good thing we played on the Friday, so we, we didn't have to. In, in hindsight, that's when we should have played was on Friday. But I, that's that's not why we lost. Nashville beat us. They were a really good football team that day. But, uh, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't think that that had at least something to do with it, you know. Well, it, I don't know. Coach, it was because the old map from the original game was coming back. The kids were telling like, hey, when the game first Oh, is came, that what it was? Because I remember in the game, I was a 
playing Call of Duty guy. I remember that came out and they said, oh, the original map's coming back and blah, 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 blah. Coach Steve, you got to hop on and play with us. And I was like, guys, we have to play Glombardi. We have to play this school in the second round. I'm not, I don't, I don't care that a game is coming out. Like I want to do this. And so they're like, oh yeah, it comes out Friday night. And I was like, well, good thing you got work Friday night because we got to play at seven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, we we should have scheduled that game for Friday, but uh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you know, then again, these are things that old school coaches never had to deal with. I mean, they, they it just, again, goes to show that everybody's got their own stuff that they got to put up with whatever their job is at any given time. So, uh, but it's, it's still a blessing to get to work with these kids and coach them and help teach them these lessons. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, what you do it for. Right. Well, coach, I appreciate you coming on. I kind of went over my hour thing, but I appreciate you coming on, uh, Thank you for your service to the University of Illinois for playing football. <laughs> oh man, well, I, I appreciate you having me on, Steve. It really uh, means a lot. I thank you for what you do and uh, talking to all the different coaches that you talk to, and and you know keeping our sport going. So it's great that you are getting to do this and to Illini just breaking it down right here. I mean, what could be better than that on a Saturday morning, right? Yeah, well, I guess I should apologize for the Alabama thing behind me. I guess, but. Well, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting time to be an Alabama fan now, right? I mean, I don't know if you if they like this guy that they just hired or not, uh, but uh, no, I, we know where your allegiance is lie. There's only really one sign on here that we can see the full thing, and that's the the orange and blue one there to your left. So, well, okay, I will re- I'll really stop after this. I'm a fan of coaches, so I was a Nick Saban fan way before Alabama. I love. I knew Fair I wanted enough. to coach when I was 15, 14 years old. I was like, this is what I want to do. So I started becoming fans of coaches so when people move around like that's where i followed he just happened to be there the longest and i put this up there also because people call me bandwagon so i put up there to piss them off i'm like well there it is lean into it yeah (laughs) yeah i'm like i'm gonna lean right into it but like you said that's why do you think there's illinois 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 there's more illinois than ever yep a lot of orange and blue on that wall right there yeah well coach again appreciate you coming on here you bet coach i appreciate it thank you all the best go raiders